Psalm one or Psalm eighty nine. Psalm eighty nine. With voices united, our praises we offer. And I'm telling you, there's something really, really amazing and astonishing when we begin to understand what the hymnist is singing about and what the Word of God speaks about when God's people get together on His appointed day and lift up praise unto our God, who is to be, the psalmist said, greatly praised. We offer to the great Jehovah gladness anthems we raise. Uh, amen. Psalm 89, in verse 1, just one verse this morning. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would bless the reading and preaching of thy word. Lord, we've spent the last half hour or so attempting to sing praise unto your name. And yet even though we sang these praises, Father, Lord, we often wonder how we could ever sing praises in a manner and a way which truly glorifies you. For in thy presence, the hymnist said, is unbroken praise. Yet, Father, I pray that you'd help us. Guide us and direct us this morning as we open up thy words. Help us to understand the divine truths of which the psalmist speaks. And help us, dear God, we pray that our hearts would be drawn closer to Thee and that we would leave this morning understanding, believing, and rejoicing in praising Your name in all aspects of life. Lord, I pray that You would be with us this morning. Bless us. Bless the preaching of Thy Word. We'll give You thanks for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. You know that which makes this 89th Psalm, especially this first verse, so incredibly amazing and astonishing is that the psalmist's desire to sing of the mercies of the Lord and to make known His faithfulness to all generations, arose not in a time of great blessings and triumphs for God's people, but when they were suffering under much affliction and sorrow. For even the promises of God appeared to have forsaken them. And yet the psalmist begins this psalm with the desire to sing the mercies of the Lord. I believe we live in a generation of superficial believers today who lack the understanding of what it is to praise God. And they have that lack of understanding because they know not Christ as they should. Is there a time in our present life that we should 
not be able to sing praise unto God. Many today, with all these new movements going on, believe that praising God should be done to bring joy and satisfaction to us. With the guitars and the cymbals and the pianos and the music, that praise should be directed solely around us for our benefit and our comfort and our joy. And yet true biblical praise is turning all our attentions, hearts, and affections to God, who alone is worthy of all praise. For in doing so, then we are tremendously blessed. But only when we seek to glorify God in our praises. In this 89th Psalm, if you'll read through the whole thing, he speaks often of the covenant that God made with His people. He speaks of God's faithfulness. If you'll read the entire Psalm, you'll know that Israel was suffering under many afflictions and trials at this moment, and yet he sings of the mercies of the Lord. And he desires to make known God's faithfulness to all generations. Oh, that we too might have such faith in God. That we can look beyond our problems and our afflictions and our troubles and our distresses. Look unto God and desire and long to sing praises to God for His mercies and to speak or to make known His faithfulness to all generations. Beloved, that is a faith that is glorifying to God and most beneficial and sweet to the believer. It's those who go out into the great waters, the psalmist said in 107, that discover the mysteries of God. For all, for though all these troubles and afflictions appeared to be against them and the promises of God, distant and afar off in this Psalm 89, it was in the mercies of the Lord and His unchanging faithfulness, God's covenant with His people, that He would rest. For he says in verse 2, For I have said, Mercy shall be built forever. Up forever thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. Listen to these words. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Who is greater and who is greater than David? But Christ. And God has made a covenant with us through Christ. It's called the covenant of grace. I've made a covenant with my chosen. Are you hearing the psalmist? Yes, we're afflicted, we're troubled, and the promises of God seem to be far and distant, yet God has made a covenant with us, with me. And His faithfulness shall not fail. His mercy shall not end. It's all about God. It's not about them. Do we know what we have in Christ? Is it just an intellectual assent that we possess of the things of Christ? Or are we comforted in our hearts in the depths of our afflictions by knowing that God has made a covenant with us in Christ? And that no matter what my situation is, I can always sing of the mercies of the Lord and make known His faithfulness to all generations. 
For it has nothing, absolutely nothing, to do with me, but all with Christ. I see, see, verse 4, will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations, and the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. What we do each Sunday morning here, gathered together, dearly beloved, is something that pleases God. The significance and importance of it is beyond what many understand in this day and age, the singing of our praises. We know not just simply sing to be singing, we sing because we want to praise God. We sing from the depths of our hearts for what Christ has given us and what Christ is doing in us. We sing to give God praise. Praise is a vital part of worship. But it's not a praise that's centered around mankind or his longings or desires or his wants and his wishes or his needs. It's a praise that's centered around God. Regardless of what our outward circumstances are, It was in the mercies of the Lord and His unchanging faithfulness, God's covenant with His people, that the psalmist would rest. Do we rest in that? I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Oh, do you know the covenant of grace? You say that sounds unfamiliar to me. You ought to explore it a little bit deeper. Covenant of grace, my mercy, verse 28 of the same chapter, my mercy will I keep for him forever. Listen to that. Who's keeping God's mercy? It's not my merits. It's not anything I do. It's not with I, whether I fail or I succeed, whether I lose or I'm triumphant. God says, my mercy will I keep for him forever. Why? Because he's made a covenant with me through Christ. And my covenant, same verse, shall stand fast with him. Even if they falter and fail, his covenant he will not break. Look in the same chapter, verse 30 to 34. Listen to the psalmist. Again, this is why the psalmist breaks out in verse 1 with singing. Look at verse 30. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes, Keep not my commandments. Then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, here it is, nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. Ah, oh, dearly beloved, have you ever felt the rod of God chastening you as a child? How often does the scripture speak of that relationship between God and his children? Sometimes God, out of grace and mercy, must pull out the rod and give us stripes. And yet, nevertheless, my loving kindness will not overtake from him nor suffer my faith to fail. And the Old Testament prophet said to acknowledge or kiss the hand that holds the rod. Set of love. 
It's out of his faithfulness and out of his mercy. Yet in Christ, beloved, we have an even greater covenant, the covenant of grace, which is forever sure and secured in Christ. That old hymn from Augustus Top Lady Solid Rock, his oath, his covenant is not Augustus Top Lady, I'm sorry, that's Rock of Ages. His oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. I dare say if you spoke those words in an average church today, the majority of those who profess to know Christ would know little, if anything, about what the hymnist is speaking about. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. Not my faith or my determination, not my sacrifice or any merit of my own. It's his oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. It is blessing when God removes all trust in ourselves, all confidence in the flesh, and we're left to trust in God alone. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. Oh, what a blessed state for the believer to be in. What a blessed, wonderful experience for the beloved to know such confidence in faith, in God's faithfulness and mercy and love. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Few there be in this generation of superficial Christianity who understand the true meaning of the hymnist concerning Christ's oath, his covenant, and his blood. And yet, sadly, fewer who truly know of its great and unspeakable comfort to the most troubled soul. Over the last 40 years, I've often heard many who speak much and very clearly about the doctrines of grace and about what we have in Christ and yet I have heard so many who speak it with merely an intellectual assent. Who contend for it. Who fight for it. Yet they themselves know none of the comfort that comes from it. What good is it to know intellectually something about God or Christ and yet never to know the comfort yourself? Oh, beloved. Could you sing with the psalmist of the mercies of the Lord forever? Would you with your mouth make known his faithfulness to all generations? When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Beloved, herein lies the true believer's divine refuge and assurance in the midst of the greatest afflictions and in the face of Satan's evil devices, even to the silencing of our own terrified and conflicted conscience. He all, <laughs> he all, he alone is all my stay. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him nor suffer my faith to fail. Words, 
worth well worth our meditation. I will bring the rod upon him. I will give him stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. It's a very poor comparison, but it's almost like that of a mother or a father who chastens their child. At the moment, the child, even Hebrew says, at the moment it doesn't appear to be profitable. And yet that mother's love would never change, would never falter, would never fail. And God is more assured in his faithfulness and mercies than any human being. Therefore, the psalmist begins, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I'm getting ahead of myself, but when we find ourselves in a place of great afflictions or trials or conflict or trouble, whatever it might be, let us begin with praise. Let us begin with praise. This is what the psalmist is leading to show us. This is what the psalmist is showing us by way of example. Regardless of what our situation is, let it lead us to praise. Therefore will I sing of the mercies of the Lord forever with my mouth, will I make known his faithfulness to all generations. Beloved, we cannot, we must not make it about ourselves or anything we may vainly hope to merit. Listen to me closely, because I believe many Christians struggle here, not only with assurance of salvation, but when they find themselves in a very difficult situation to believe and trust in God's mercies and faithfulness. Do not get lost in that entanglement. Have I done enough? Have I obeyed enough? Have I believed enough? Have I prayed enough? Have I sacrificed enough? It's not about you. It's not about me. To even think such things is clear proof, dearly beloved, that we know little or nothing about what we as true believers have in Christ. It's not if we've prayed enough, if I've done enough, if I've obeyed enough, if I've believed enough, if I've sacrificed enough. The psalmist says it's all about God's mercies, not us. We make it about ourselves. To believe we could ever, even after salvation, contribute in any way to the finished and complete work of Christ is to truly know nothing of Christ. There's a balance here which I believe the people who believe in the doctrines of grace and the hyper-grace, there's a balance here that you find in the middle of that. After Even after salvation, there's nothing we can do to contribute to what Christ has already done. He's done it all. He's completed it. It is finished. And sometimes God, out of His grace and mercy, must lead us to a place to where He strips us of all fleshly confidence so that we might see only Him. So that we might know it's not about my faith, it's not about me believing or obeying or sacrificing or doing enough, it's all about Christ. I rest in Christ. I rest in Him alone. And beloved, I'm telling you that there are countless believers 
And in the past, I was one of them, regardless of what people might say about the doctrines of grace. I was one of them well, but there's countless believers who struggle with this conflict in their heart and their mind. I'm not living right. I'm not sacrificing right. And they make it about themselves. I know an individual even now who I believe is saved and near death who struggles with the same conflict in their souls. Have I prayed enough? Have I, have I done enough? Have I believed enough? Have I sacrificed enough? Has I served enough? And he finds himself constantly questioning himself. And it breaks my heart that he's not come to rest in Christ. We rest in Christ, in Him alone. We must learn to come to rest, completely rest in the mercies of the Lord and His unchanging faithfulness. That's why the psalmist begins with verse 1. Even though they were in times of heartaches and afflictions, heartaches and afflictions, We sing this hymn often, but let me say it again. Let me say this hymn, speak this hymn in words again so that you might hear. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you? He hath said unto you who the Savior, to the Savior for refuge have fled. Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God, and I will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of woe shall not be overflow, for I will be with thee thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. This verse isn't found in all of them, but in the original. Even down to old age, all my people shall prove my sovereign, eternal, unchangeable love. And when hoary hairs, gray hairs, and when hoary hairs shall their temples adorn like lambs, they shall still in my bosom be born. Oh, how that comforted me. I'm not as old as some, but I'm be 64 this year, and I've been a Christian for 40 years. And sometimes I look past in my life and wonder. And many times my adversary will bring up my constant failures and shortcomings. And then that verse and that hymn, I I sang and read again, and I was comforted that even though I've been saved for many years, God still carries me in His bosom like a lamb. And then that led me to Isaiah 46.4. And even to your old age, I am he. And even to whore hairs will I carry you. I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. Mm. Now, are you ready to sing of the mercies of the Lord? Now, do you understand why the psalmist breaks out in the very first verse? He doesn't start with his complaints and his problems. He starts with God. We start with our complaints and our problems. We can't do that. We've got to start with God. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. Not speak. 
after this, he said, my mouth will make known. But here, mercy, he said, I'll sing. Oh, there's a, there's a place for singing. <laughs> there's a place for praising in the Christian's life. And it ought to be not just on Sundays. <laughs> Driving down the road in the early mornings with the stars and lambing and I, it's the eastern star, I guess, is what I call it, the brightest star. I don't know which planet it is. It's always sitting right above Brownwood when I'm driving to work, and I see the mastery of God, how he paints the heavens. And... Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. It's a hymn based on Scripture. And then how that praise comforts us. Abide with me. Amen? Thou that changest not, abide with me. Corruption and decay all around I see. Thou that changest not, abide with me. And I'm beginning to learn even more of the Psalms in song. Psalm 100 is stuck in my head all week. And I love when the windows are open and we're singing psalms and the Word of God goes out into the streets and who knows. We're gathered here praising our God. And praise lifts our hearts and our affections up to God. It rises us above all our distresses and our problems and reminds us of the goodness and mercy and grace and faithfulness of God. Psalmist would begin by singing praises for the mercy of the Lord, even though outwardly things were very troubling and heartbreaking. The natural man seeks ease by complaining. You ever run into somebody like that? They've always got a complaint. They've never got a solution. I get frustrated with people sometimes who always have a problem, yet no solution. And it's like, you can't just expose the problem. You've got to have a solution. So the natural man thinks, well, I'll ease myself by complaining. Yet for the true believer who is well acquainted with the mercies of the Lord, it's by the song of praise that he steals and brings to silence all his complaints. Look in Psalm 42. Psalm 42. <clears throat> We've all done that before, I'm sure, in our lives. We've all had times we've had trouble and distress, and the song comes to our heart, a hymn uh, comes to our hearts, and we begin singing it and thinking about it. Just Psalm 42. I'm going to read the whole chapter because it's Sunday, so we'll be here maybe a little while. But Psalm 42, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I will yet praise him for the help of his countenance. David's talking to himself. 
A lot of people say, it's all right if you talk to yourself as long as you don't give an answer. Well, David talked to himself and gave an answer at the same time. So I guess he's crazy. But David said, why are you cast down? Why are you frustrated? He's talking to his own conscience. And what's he say? I shall yet praise God. My God, my soul is cast down within me. It's, it's, he's speaking in third person almost. My God, look at my soul. It's cast down. Therefore, will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites from the hill of Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. Watch this. And in the night, his song shall be with me. Not just nighttime literally, but nighttime of afflictions and troubles. His song, his song shall be with me. And my prayer unto the God of my life. Do you know that a nightingale sings more sweetly at nighttime? Do you know that? They sing at nighttime. And it's one of the few birds that over ha have over a thousand different tones. It's amazing. Compare that to Christian life. A thousand different tones the Christian can bring before God. A thousand different praises. I will say unto my God, my rock, unto God my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? Why art thou cast down on my soul and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. For I will yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. You notice that every time he confronts his conflicted soul, he talks about praise being the answer. I'll praise him. The purest, most God-glorifying praises, beloved, arises from our darkest and our most troubling times. I'm not saying that's the only time we sing praises. Of course, there's times when we triumph in Christ and we sing those high and mighty praises. But I'm telling you, the sweetest, the purest, the most God-glorifying praises are often those that arise from our most darkest and troubling times. For then is all carnal and selfish desires purged. And the praise which emanates or flows from our hearts is holy to the glory of God. There's nothing left of our own. It's all been purged away. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. Mercies of the Lord. Unmerited of the Lord. Look over in Psalm chapter 30. Psalm chapter 30. Look in verse... Him. Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. <laughs> Verse 5 is the one that says, Weeping may endure for night, but joy come in the morning. But here he says, Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. Again, praise. Again, the result is praise. You've turned my mourning into dancing. Why? So I can sing praise unto God. 
when our complaints and our murmurings are turned by the grace of God into thanksgiving and praise, beloved, not only is God greatly glorified in Himself, but our hearts find the sweetest consolation and joy. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and what? Enjoy Him forever. So when we glorify God, you know what God gives us in return? He gives us the sweetest comfort and the sweetest joy in Himself. I have no confidence, Paul said, in this flesh. <clears throat> For me to live is Christ. It's Christ. Psalm 149.5 said, Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Upon their beds. Look over in Psalm 77. Psalm 77. Stay with me. A little longer. Psalm 77. Verse 1. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. Thou beholdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with my own heart and my spirit, my diligent search. I call to remembrance my song in the night. Past deliverances. Past mercies. The psalmist says, I will sing of the mercies, plural, because there's many. There's countless. I remembrance. I call to remembrance my song in the night. Thomas Manton once said, self-love may lead us to prayers, but love to God excites us to praises. Self-love may lead us to prayers, but love to God excites us to praises. Beloved, true praise. I don't mean the praise of which this world today is speaking, which is carnal and man-centered. True biblical praise lifts the believer's heart out of his deepest distress and sets their heart and affection on the perfections, mercies, and faithfulness of God in Christ. If you know Christ. This is why I'm so disappointed and saddened by so many churches because they're not feeding the church of God as they should. And I'm not saying these people are not saved, but they don't know enough about Christ. And therefore, they find no comfort. They wrestle with it. I see this on the job all the time. I have many people there that are professing Christians, and I know what so-called church they come out of. And when trouble comes upon them on the job or in daily lives, they're distressed. I mean, far beyond distressed. They're discouraged and in despair. And have nowhere to go. And then when you listen or hear them, what they say in churches on Sundays, they won't call it preaching. It's all about what you can do. We need to just get up and fight. We need to do something God's given us. And we need to, we need to, it's all about them. It's all, they don't know what it is to rest in Christ. Because they know nothing of the redemption of Christ.
Come, to, come unto me, all ye that are, right? And I'll give you rest. Burden and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden light. Find peace for your soul. The psalmist said in Psalm 71, but I will hope continually and will yet praise thee more and more. And yet praise thee more and more. But I will hope continually and yet praise thee more and more. You remember when David came back with the ark? When they left it and it was getting blessed at the house, David went back and got it, brought it back. David's going through the streets and he's dancing. His wife got mad at him, jealous at him, thought he made a fool out of himself. I'm not saying we should dance, but I'm saying that's in the picture of what it is to, to praise God, to praise God. There's something, beloved, there's something in true biblical praise that every true believer needs to understand and exercise. When your heart is down and you're distressed, pick up a psalm and read a psalm. Pick up an old hymn and read a hymn. Sing a praise and watch how it lifts your burdened heart above all those problems and brings you into the presence of God so you can see his perfections and his mercies and his grace and his faithfulness. Psalm 84. Two more verses. Psalm 84. I love this psalm. <clears throat> I love all the psalms, but Psalm 84. Get a picture of what happens here on Sundays. I hope and pray does and always will. And I hope and pray that's our desire. Psalm 84, verse 1. How amiable. I love that word. Are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! Exclamation point. How amiable. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. Watch this. They will be still praising thee, Selah. You know what that means? Those who make worshiping with God's people together and singing praises in God's house together with God's people, they will still be praising Thee. That means in every circumstance and situation of life, because of what they've done in their worship and praising as a corporate group of believers, they will still be praising God when they're out there. That's the effects of our gathering together to sing praises and preaching of the Word of God, and worship. They will be still praising Thee. Blessed is the man whose strength is in Thee and whose heart are the ways of Him. Now watch this. Who passing through the valley of Becca, that's tears, make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. I love how he does that. The psalmist says what he does is those tears of pool, those pools of tears, he makes it into a well. He makes it into a well. He turns the tears into sorrow. Now watch this. They go from strength to great strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. <laughs> they go from strength to strength. This whole psalm deals with God's people in God's house and the effects of them worshiping God together, singing praises unto his name, hearing the preaching of the word. David says they're a blessed people. 
Psalm 48, 1 said, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God and the mountain of His holiness. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Let me close with this one thought. Look over in Psalm 150. Maybe a few thoughts. Psalm 150. Psalm 150 has six verses. Psalm 1 has six verses. Psalm 1 begins with, Blessed is the man. Psalm 50 starts out, Praise you the Lord. That's the end of a blessed man. <laughs> he praises God. Oh, you're just making, no, that's Scripture. Isn't scripture, lovely. Isn't it wonderful? Now watch this. There's not a verse that you don't find praise. Listen to him. Verse 1, praise you the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in the firmament of his power, praise him for his mighty acts, praise him according to his excellent greatness, praise him with the sound of the trumpet, praise him with the psaltery and harp, praise him with the timbrel and dance, praise him with stringed instruments and organs, praise him upon the loud cymbals, praise him upon high-sounding cymbals, and here is the end of Psalm. Here is what Psalms leads to. Here is Psalm at its highest. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord, praise ye the Lord. You know what we're going to do in eternity? We're going to join that unbroken praise. Beloved, there's something about singing praises that benefits the Christian tremendously because if it's done biblically, it exalts God, glorifies Him, and therefore gives us the sweetest consolation and comfort in the greatest of our trials and afflictions. I'm sure you've heard it often before, and there's many hymn writers that will give you testimonies of how the Spirit of God led them to write hymn, but it is well with my soul. I think we all know that story, that hymn came about from a man losing all he had. And God would give him a song. If you listen real closely in your deepest despair, God will give you a song. Amen? I'm not exalting that above the Word of God or anything else. I'm simply saying if it's scriptural praise, there's something to praise. Read Psalms. There's something about praise that glorifies God. And in glorifying Him, oh, He gives us sweet consolation and joy and comfort. And I was so blessed this last week when the people in the nursing home wanted to sing hymns. I was so blessed by that. It's wonderful. When I survey the wondrous cross upon which the Prince of Glory died. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord God, my Father. Maybe perhaps you have a song that you can recall that came in the night of your troubles and despairs. I I beg of you, I encourage you, I exhort you when you find yourself discouraged. Yes, we turn to the Word of God. Yes, we seek God's Word. It's a great foundation. But when you're doing that as well, sing praise unto God. Sing praise unto God. You know, it's really a a, a wonderful thing to do, a wonderful combination to do. And I'll say this, and I promise with this I'll close. When you're reading Scripture, and I know in this hectic world most of us have very few time, we need to be careful. And I just put that in there. Be careful that you don't make time for God, because if you don't, you won't. You won't. I'll get to it later. No, you won't. And by the time you realize you didn't, it's time to go to bed. You're so tired you can't pray, you can't read. Don't don't let yourself do that. Make time for God when you read. 
now that we're reading the Psalms anyways, we start reading through Psalms. Maybe we've learned it here. That's why I'm, I feel so blessed having uh, the brethren come with these Psalms and teaching us the Psalms. But when you read Scripture, take a moment to stop and sing a hymn, sing a psalm. Sing unto the Lord with praise, hymns and praise, and melody in your heart. Melody where? In your heart. There's something about that hope, oh, dearly beloved, that comforts us in our deepest trials. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. And next week, I do want to get to the second part because you can't really enjoy it without the second part. And I will make, with my mouth, I will make known the faithfulness of God unto all generations. The faithfulness of God. Isn't that a wonderful change from what people talk about today? They talk about their faith. Ah, the faithfulness of God. I've been saved over 40 years and God's been faithful. I wish I could say I've always been faithful. I haven't. But His faithfulness has not changed once. Not once. Mm. The unchanging faithfulness of God. I will make known unto all generations. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we... Lord, we could easily stay here all day and just read Scripture and sing more psalms and sing more hymns. Lord, how we yearn and long for that day when we shall join with those in unbroken praise. What does that even mean? To be in the presence of God and to hear the praises of God continually, unbroken by angels and cherubims and saints of old. God, what a day that will be, Lord, when we gather around your throne. Your word says we'll sing a new song. I wonder what that new song will be. Oh, Lord, I pray that you'd forgive us, Lord, where we've so often been distracted by our own weaknesses and infirmities and allowed ourselves to be led astray by our own fleshly carnal wants and desires. Lord, where we've murmured and complained, Help us, Lord, to be reminded in times like those to lift up our hearts to Thee and sing praise to God, great praise. Lord, I pray that You'd be honored and glorified in our midst. Guide us and direct us, we pray. Bless as only You can, for we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.